0: And welcome back, campers. That's Genevieve. And that's Caitlin. And we are joined today by our very special guests, Steve and Sean of the awesome podcast, Mostly Horror. Uh, We did a crossover episode with them a couple of weeks back. Mm -hmm. Even if you aren't a huge fan of the horror genre, I know a lot of people who are into true crime are also into horror. But... Uh, listening to you guys' podcast has definitely made me want to watch more horror and has made me realize that I have seen more horror than I've given myself credit for. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, we're really happy to have you guys with us today. They're going to be offering their expertise as we talk through this horrible true crime story on vampires in the horror genre, vampire lore, all kinds of fun stuff. So you're going to be getting the best of the true crime and the horror worlds today. All right. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Oh man, the mountains call my number. All right, so before we get started with the Richard Chase story, we do want to tell our audience that a large portion of this story is about an individual's descent deeper and deeper into severe mental illness. So we want to make it a point to say up front that while this story is about someone with mental illness who goes on to become a serial killer, Medical research has shown repeatedly that mental illness itself is in no way an automatic precursor to violent crime. Over 50 million Americans are living with a diagnosed mental illness. And overwhelmingly, the vulnerable state of the brain left when dealing with mental illness makes someone far more likely to become a victim of a violent crime than a perpetrator of one. So Richard Trenton Chase was born on May 23rd, 1950, right smack dab in the good old days in Santa Clara County, California. And for a time, Richard had a completely normal, middle class, classic American upbringing. He had a lot of friends. He did Little League and Cub Scouts, and his teachers remembered him as being a sweet, normal kid. His parents, Richard and Beatrice Chase, were, for the 1950s, normal, but were, in 2024 terms, uh, you would (laughs) consider that slightly abusive. Um, Richard's dad would often hit him with a belt, scream at him for messing up, or slam him into a wall if he talked back. Uh, His parents were both heavy drinkers and would fight loudly and often in front of Richard and his younger sister, Pamela. And their marriage got considerably worse and worse with every passing year. Richard's mom was also extremely paranoid and was always accusing Richard's dad of affairs or of trying to poison her. We do not know if either of those things are true.
1: (laughs) It was the 50s, so I would... Imagine,
2: Anything <laughs> Maybe. Who
0: goes. Yeah. it's quite possible. Yes. And I'm yeah. saying she's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and whether or not this was true, uh, his parents' obsession with their own marriage and their own troubles meant that they weren't really paying attention to Richard when he started getting a little bit weird.
3: When he was around 10, he got really obsessed with
0: dead animals.
3: As in, he particularly loved to kill cats so that he could examine their blood and internal organs. He actually killed so many cats around the neighborhood that people were like, where the fuck are all the cats going? And at one point, his mom even found one that he'd left disemboweled and buried in her flower bed. But the cats weren't the only thing. As an adolescent, Richard would do odd things like get up and cook for himself in the middle of the night And then would just stand there with the stove on high and watch the pans scorch. Sometimes when he was alone he would turn the heat up to 90 degrees in the house and lay naked on the sofa. He also liked to play with matches and start fires and even though he was now long past toddler age he would also still wet the bed. Those three things, animal cruelty, starting fires, and bedwetting past age five are all part of what is called the MacDonald Triad, or the Triad of Sociopathy. And there's been a lot of more research in recent years kind of calling into question how accurate these three characteristics are in predicting a budding serial killer. They are pretty consistently turned out to be in a killer's past after they've been caught. So basically, someone exhibiting a couple or all of those characteristics in childhood is not a definitive indicator
0: that they will go on to
3: be a killer, but nearly all serial killers will have one or more of these elements in their past.
0: And once he hit high school, again on the surface, Richard seemed to fit in just fine. He was well-mannered and handsome. He had friends, he went on dates, and he even had two serious girlfriends at different points. Unfortunately though, in both cases, his girlfriends broke things off with him, not because he was weird, but because it was impossible for him to maintain arousal during sex. And this was a huge point of shame and embarrassment for him. He really liked girls and wanted to be intimate with them. And not being able to express that attraction made him feel like, there was something really fucked up and broken inside of him and i'm sure that his dad didn't help with that mm-hmm. the time he was living in did yeah. not help with that there's a lot of toxic masculinity yeah. everywhere all the time and around this same time in his high school sex ed class richard chase was learning about how arousal happens, how the blood vessels in the penis relax and open during sexual arousal. Blood rushes in and fills them, which causes the guy to become hard. But our friend Richard took away one part of that lesson, the key part of that lesson, the part about how your penis has to fill with blood to stay hard. So he went, huh, well, my penis can't stay hard. So I must not have enough blood in my body. I mean... I mean...
1: It's funny because it, he probably just had like a, an intense circulation issue. If he would have just like ran a couple
0: laps yeah. and funny
1: enough ate some gar- some garlic and some beets,
0: ah, I think he would have been all right. Yes. <laughs> and this idea of his penis being defective because he did not have enough blood in his body became a point of deep obsession for him that he would carry the rest of his life. In middle school, he also started heavily drinking and dropping acid, uh, which we know now as LSD. So basically, if he wasn't in school, he was getting completely wrecked at parties. He looked dirty and grungy all the time and his grades dropped significantly. His parents gave him a hard time for not having any ambition, but they just kind of lumped him in with all the other cliche teens at the time that were doing drugs and just kind of being generally grungy. So no one really separated what was going on with him, his all-consuming obsession that he didn't have enough blood and that his penis was defective, that he wasn't sleeping or eating, they were just kind of like, "Ah, oh, he's a dirty hippie. He's probably doing too many drugs. You know, he'll he'll grow out of it."
1: If you could have just given him some like decent parents and a Nirvana CD, yeah, would have probably been all right. <laughs> a bit,
4: a bit early for Nirvana, but I get right. I know. What I'm saying, <laughs> just saying. This was the early '60s sense. to mid '60s, but yeah, I get it.
1: I was just gonna say, LSD is is a not a party drug. I don't know, like movies make it seem like that's a that's a thing. Yeah. LSD is totally not a party drug, and also if you already have um, some mental health issues, uh, s- psychedelics like that, are,
2: oh
0: yes. are <laughs> extra dangerous. Yes, yeah. it's like it turns your brain into a thin membrane to just like yes. pull those things to the surface. Absolutely, yes. Now, when he was eighteen, Richards erectile dysfunction was causing him so much distress that he actually saw a psychiatrist about it, which was a really big deal for the time because that was not cool to do. And the psychiatrist told him that it was most likely an emotional issue caused by anxiety and possible suppressed rage towards women. So, yikes. But... Richard did not accept this and he was just even more convinced that his inability to perform was due to a lack of blood. In spite of all this going on with him, he managed to graduate high school and enrolled in a local college, but just as soon he abruptly stopped going to classes and was expelled. Then he temporarily moved into a house with roommates who first remembered him as the kind and well-mannered Rick Chase that they knew from school. But that didn't last long, and his extreme paranoia and disgusting personal hygiene made him unbearable to live with, so he ended up back at home. At this point, his parents had finally gotten divorced, and Richard was convinced, now that he was back at home, that his mother, Beatrice, was always trying to poison him and control his mind.
4: Going going back to the psychiatrist, shout out to the psychiatrist for, like, nailing some of those issues in the late right. like when bro. that stuff probably wasn't yeah like you know they didn't diagnose him with like mental or well, outside of like anxiety disorders but like you know didn't diagnose them with anything have uh you know more involved than that but still was pointing out some basic yeah uh, right. things that probably would have helped if uh, action was taken
3: his obsession with blood and human anatomy continued to escalate and he covered the walls of his bedroom with pictures of human hearts that he could cut out of anatomy books.
1: I have a, a pig heart in a jar on my bookshelf right oh, now. That's pretty because, cool. That is cool. Right? That's cool. I limit it to that. No more hearts. It's cool. <laughs> call the cops. If you're listening, I'll call the cops. <laughs> oh.
3: He was unable to hold a job for more than a few days at a time. And his beliefs about his physical body were becoming increasingly bizarre. He told his mother that, quote, his stomach was on
4: backwards,
3: and that his heart would just stop beating sometimes.
4: He was already self-diagnosing. Yeah, 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 he was. Even though stomach backwards isn't like an option that you would see on WebMD, (laughs) that was his own creation.
3: He started having fits where he would shake and beat his feet against the walls of the house, and it would make him temporarily lose the ability to speak or write. He became shockingly skinny, and his sister often said he looked spooky. Richard's mom and dad and grandmother would pass him around between their different homes every few months to see if different living situations could help improve his mental state. And sometimes it would seem like there was a slight improvement, but without fail, Richard would be unable to hold down a job and would fall back into extreme paranoia and doing weird shit like sleeping all day, then staying wide awake in his room making strange noises all night.
1: That's weird.
0: Yeah. Sleeping all day, Uh noises (laughs) at night, no. And (laughs) while this was happening, one of the times that he was living with his grandmother, they knew that he was being weird as fuck. And his grandmother said, you know what? I got a great job idea for you. Let's get you a job as a bus driver for mentally disabled kids nope he he did that for a year before he was fired i'm sorry so
4: that's honestly impressive that's like impressive that he did that for a year
0: (laughs) yeah
1: dude I couldn't even get through GameStop for, like, two months, man. I don't know how. Yeah, (laughs) that's
4: impressive that he did that for a year and, like, there's no, like, record of, like, a child going missing.
3: So we worked on the skill nursing facility side of the nursing home. Mm -hmm. And on the other side was the DD side, developmentally disabled. Yeah. And I – it takes a special person to work on that side. Yeah.
0: I think that really – to do a job like that, you have you either have to have an incredibly high level of empathy, or you have to be completely checked out. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, and I think he was just completely checked mm, out. Yeah. I wow. Think. Yeah, good way to put that. He
3: would virtually stop eating, and his personal hygiene was non-existent. He also became increasingly violent. He cracked his mother over the head with a telephone during a fight, and he grabbed and groped a woman's breasts at a party and actually spent a night in jail when some guys there called the police. One night, his grandmother was horrified to hear Richard talking to himself alone in his room, saying, quote, Richard, you're a good boy, aren't you? Yes, you're a good boy.
4: That's not good. No. I'm sorry.
3: If I heard my child doing that, I would leave the house so fast.
4: Yeah, yeah There's literally, I've seen like, this movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, was, I
4: was just going to say, like, you experience that sort of thing in movies. But when you experience that in real life, like to to pull from my actual life, I have a I have a I have a grandma who's 104 and I I was visiting Michigan and, and was in the other room trying to sleep and heard my wonderful grandma who is uh, in fits of dementia talking to herself and you don't realize how unnerving that is until yeah. it actually happens and you're like i'm i'm not i don't want to be a pie I Would like to yes. from this narrative please uh so i can't even imagine your child who is obviously going through issues uh just talking yeah. to themselves at wow. night
3: he had constant headaches which he thought might be from vitamin deficiency Which, I mean. yeah. mean. so he would wrap his head in a towel filled with orange slices so that the nutrients from the fruit could seep into his head. When that didn't work, he would stand on his head in the corner to try and get the blood to drain back into his head. With our 2024 perspectives, it's pretty obvious that Richard was descending deeper and deeper into mental illness, but this was the early 1970s. And despite everything going on with Richard, his dad firmly believed that Richard was simply lazy and misguided. Which I feel like even now, my parents would have that assumption.
4: I hope if I ever came to my parents and was like, I have a headache, and then I I sincerely wrapped my head in orange slices to try to get vitamin D, that they would think that something was wrong.
0: Yeah, or, you know, they heard you through the door when no one else was there being like, you're a good boy, Steve.
4: Yeah. One of the things that, like,
1: we you talked about his therapist earlier and, like, yes. being soundingly like seemingly reasonable but the the worst part is is even if people were recognizing just how much mm-hmm. how, like how much he was struggling mental health options at the time were not exactly oh, yeah. like, no. top tier so yes. I, oh. you know he might have like society might have done better because he might have been locked up but he wouldn't have gotten the help yeah he needs right most likely, which is really sad
0: it is and mental health facilities were really just big gray boxes with a lock on the front and a free-for-all on the inside yeah yeah
3: it seems like his mother beatrice had a better grasp that richard was unwell but instead of attempting to get him treatment she took the approach of extreme leniency and sweeping things under the rug in the hopes that they would just kind of work themselves out she actively resisted taking richard to the doctor even when he begged her to do so but in 1973 he finally ended up in the hospital being psychiatrically evaluated after calling the fire department and insisting his heart was no longer beating. He insisted to doctors that his blood had stopped flowing, his kidneys were no longer working, and that someone had,
0: quote, stolen his pulmonary
3: artery. Theft. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) However, after a slew of medical tests that was done on him, it was found that there was absolutely nothing physically wrong with him. And doctors finally recognized that he was most likely suffering from acute paranoid schizophrenia, since he was right in that prime age where severe mental illness tends to emerge in young men or toxic psychosis from LSD abuse or both. But despite this, he ended up back at home with nothing really done. No medication, no formal diagnosis. His parents, particularly his mom, were just kind of like, no, we're going to get him out of here. And that was that. And the vicious cycle of paranoia and bizarre behavior continued. This time, though, his violent outbursts were getting far worse. He would smash doors off their hinges and rip the phone out of the wall. He terrorized his mother and his sister, Pamela. And one day Pamela noticed that their milk was tasting strange and realized it was because Richard was pouring dish soap into it. So could have been worse. So that make it taste strange. Yeah, that in his mind, yeah. he was, you know, a- I guess, antidoting the poison. Yeah,
4: what's worse, putting that in your uh, in your in your milk or in your uh, washing machine? Am I right? A lot of bubbles. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 Sorry. Dumb. Depending dumb how
0: allergic you are to dishwashing right. detergent. Chelsea's heard, not what?
1: here, but I'm going to ask the editor for a boo. Yeah, don't let me. i trying to
2: tell
4: our editor to boo, uh, to boo me.
1: That's funny. I
0: well, told you know guys,
4: Richard, don't let me riff.
0: <laughs> well, you know, Richard Chase was putting nothing in a washing machine. That's, so.
4: that's very true. Yes. Aww. Very true.
0: Most uh, disturbing, though, he started torturing animals again and nearly killed the family's dog before he was stopped. At this point his parents understandably became desperate and they knew that they could not live under the same roof with him anymore so their solution was to get him his own place alone and richard loved having his own space and his parents actually felt pretty good about it they felt that his mental health was making improvements His dad would visit him once a week and bring him groceries and they would play cards or chess and talk. And Richard seemed calm, normal, even. He'd gained weight. He'd stopped obsessing over his illnesses. And his dad thought maybe these were steps in a positive direction. Even though Richard had become increasingly social dist— excuse me, increasingly socially distant, he did get out on his bicycle pretty often to visit a local rabbit farm. He'd been there dozens of times, actually. In fact, he was keeping his apartment well stocked with a steady supply of rabbits and cages because in his mind, he didn't want to ever worry about running out of food. Whenever he felt hungry, He selected a rabbit from one of the cages, cut it open with a large knife, and placed his mouth over the wound to drink as much blood as he could from the animal as it was dying. Jesus. Yeah.
4: Can I say the the sentence that you did where you were like, he's riding his bike more (laughs) frequently to the rabbit farms? That was like one of the more fucked up roller coasters I've been on But That was not... You you did that really well. Because you had, you oh had me. I was like, damn, like Richard's like eating good, yeah. biking. <laughs> Sounds like a ra- of diet. diet. Yeah. Volunteering like no at yoga. the
0: local rabbit oh farm. Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, oh man. But wait, there's more. <clears throat> then he would scoop out the rabbit's remaining blood and organs and blend them up in his kitchen aid so he was juicing he was juicing he was juicing oh my gosh <laughs> yes <laughs> he also would not clean it out between rabbits so that's nasty
2: yeah Uh-oh. it's like a cast Just left it
0: yeah oh, oh god yes. <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah. Well. Hey. You kind of you clean the cast iron. You just <laughs> you burn it. Yes. Out. There's a lot. That is a simplification. You season.
0: Sir. <laughs> you season it. Yes. yes. Yeah. He was seasoning the kitchen me in. because I <laughs> a use a cast iron a lot. <laughs> One day when Richard's dad dropped by, he found Richard on the couch, practically unconscious and covered in vomit. At the hospital, it was discovered that Richard had blood poisoning from injecting rabbit blood into his veins with a needle. That'll do it. What? He tried to play it off by saying, Yeah, I eat rabbits, but I accidentally ate one that I saw eat a battery. So I must have got some <laughs> battery acid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it was a triple A and I needed a
2: double
0: I knew I shouldn't
2: have eaten it. <laughs> god (laughs) oh my god uh
0: so finally after this he was formally diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and was admitted to a secure psychiatric facility in sacramento called beverly manor
4: i will say the one thing that i've heard about like these stories about richard chase or these like reports is that when he was doing i don't remember if it was this time or or maybe later on but he would uh try to infuse coca-cola into his uh yes. juicing and that's yes. a smart as someone who's a huge coca-cola fan like that's a smart move honestly yeah, you never had a rabbit and coke before
3: <laughs> during his time there the medication he was given seemed to ease his paranoia But it did nothing to lessen how much he continued to openly talk about how much he liked to drain and drink animal blood. And this got him the nickname Dracula, with other patients and staff. I don't think the staff should be nicknaming their patients.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, again, it it was the 60s. Oh, wait, no. (laughs) 70s now. But yeah.
4: Hopefully they didn't say it to his face, at least. What up, Drek? Played like the Monster Mash every time he came out.
3: <laughs> oh, God. Okay, He's but simple. that is the kind of dark humor that we had at the nursing home, so... <laughs> Maybe I don't put it past him. On more than one occasion, he was caught by nurses, covered in blood and feathers, after he had caught and removed the head from birds and was drinking their blood. After a few months, against extreme protests from the nursing staff that dealt with him every day, Richard Chase was deemed improved enough by his doctor to be released.
4: Like, there's obviously way more insane things that you're going to say, but and, and, sorry not to use the word insane in a bad way. But that's one of the, like, more wild parts of this whole story is that while in this facility, he would sit by his window and wait for a bird to pass. Yes, by he would read, like that's... sit
0: like this with his palm out yeah, and would wait for them. No. He would get little bits of bread. He would do He was like Snow Whiting. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: It's it's a delivery service for like Kool-Aid jammers, the way he's (laughs) twisting the head off and just
4: drinking it. Jesus Christ, (laughs) 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 Sean. It's like the scene from Shrek where she like sings and explodes, but like way worse than that, obviously. Oh.
0: (laughs) I did read in multiple articles that several He drove multiple members of the nursing staff to quit after they dealt with him. And that says a lot about how disturbing his behavior was. So, yeah.
3: In the months that followed, the medication that Richard was now on greatly diminished his paranoia and violent outbursts. But after a while, his mother decided she didn't like how it made her son seem zombie-like. And without consulting his doctor, she decided to just stop giving it to him. This seemed fine for a few weeks. But then Richard violently killed both the family dogs and Beatrice came home to find Richard standing on the front porch covered in blood with the family's cat. And let's just say it was not in a state
0: of good health. There's one other thing that I did want to circle back to real quick about the Richard Chase being released. Um, from the psychiatric facility, because I think that that's such a, more than anything else, you know, when people talk about a canon event in somebody's mm-hmm. life, that him being so unwell, it finally being acknowledged, and then him being put in a facility, mm-hmm. he should never have left there. Yeah. yeah. However, this is something that Caitlin and I, uh, we're going to go on a healthcare tirade for a second, but when we worked in long-term healthcare as CNAs, as nurses, you are the one with the patient 24-7. Yes. They are really, especially if they live somewhere, in a lot of ways, you are their only family. They're the first thing you see in the morning, the last thing you see at night. You are bring them their meals, their medication, bathing them, sitting with them. I mean, holding yeah them we, when they're crying, we literally laid in bed with like them. laying in bed with little old ladies that just wanted somebody to hold their hand Gosh, and like cry. i mean it's it really is a world within a world mm-hmm. and the constant pushback between nursing staff and doctors mm-hmm. and administration is that nursing staff feels that doctors breeze in they look at the tip of the iceberg when there's a huge mountain beneath the surface that nursing staff attempts to communicate, Mm -hmm. but because they are a lower tier of education, they get dismissed. The doctors under pressure by administration to make quick decisions. And in the case of, I think it was Beverly Manor, they were very overcrowded and Richard Chase, who came from, a middle upper class family that had a decent support system. He was well spoken and well mannered when he was medicated. He was able to seem as though maybe he didn't need to be in a facility after a five minute conversation with the doctor. Right. And the overwhelming amount of pushback that that doctor was given by nursing staff was just completely ignored. And that pisses me off Because it's so not much. uncommon. Yes. It happens. Yeah. Yes. It happens uh, so everywhere. often. So I sincerely hope that that doctor felt slightly, I he was not responsible for what Richard Chase right. went on to do, but hopefully. But when you have people who actually spend their time
3: with this individual, yeah. giving you information on their health, on their status, on their yeah. improvement, mm-hmm. And you're just like, mm, nah, what, what a cool conversation. Yeah.
0: What is the He's point? Gone. What is the point of charting? What is the point of spending intense time with people if you're not going to uh, listen? Don't even get me yeah. started <laughs> on fucking moon <name> charting. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> but yeah, so that for me, that was a very tragic, avoidable incident where he because should it's, never have gotten him back out.
3: It's. Malpractice all the way around. It's yeah. you're literally neglecting the patient.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It's like feeding into the pattern of enablement too. Like, yes, with his, parents, with his doctor.
1: You're you're also neglecting society at that point. Yeah. Like you, I you're not responsible for what he did, no, but as like you are uh, a mental health professional for this community and if anyone's going to spot dangerous like dangers like this, it's you. You're, you're absolutely right.
3: So, after he killed the dogs and the cat, they sent him to live once again by himself in the same old apartment, Mm -hmm. but he never went back on his medication. Several months later, in 1978, police officers in Nevada got a weird call on the radio about a wanderer near Pyramid Lake. Richard Chase was found completely naked and covered in an incredible amount of blood. One source said that he smeared it fully into his armpits, and it was just caked in there. <sighs> and he was seated calmly on a rock, like a seal.
4: It's also a bummer because period, like not period. Pyramid Lakes looks like a beautiful place, so I just imagine like people on their on their uh, vacation or something, trying to enjoy the weather in, in this beautiful area. <laughs> so about to propose, naked, yeah. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah, who was very skeletal like i mean oh it's just every part about this is it's like a horror it really is a horror movie where you're like no but that's a little much that's a little (laughs) a little unnecessary
3: and in his nearby unoccupied truck was a bucket with a giant bloody liver inside of it richard insisted that the blood was his and was uncontrollably seeping out of his skin At first, law enforcement was horrified that he'd killed somebody and he was taken into custody. But once they realized the liver belonged to a cow, they let him go back to Sacramento.
0: So next, we're not going to go into a great amount of detail here because as a rule on camping is canceled, we talk in as little detail as possible about dog deaths and kid deaths for the sake of our mental health. So we're just going to let you know that at this point, Richard had fully graduated from rabbits to dogs, and he acquired this new supply of blood by answering local ads for puppies for sale and visiting animal (sighs) shelters. God. Yeah.
1: No jokes there.
0: No, no. Things are getting very dark. But bizarrely, while his obsession with killing living things to drink their blood was definitely getting worse. On the outside, his presentation to his family and everyone else seemed to indicate that he was improving. When Christmas rolled around, Richard's parents noticed whenever they'd stopped by his apartment that he was clean. He appeared to be taking care of himself. He was gaining weight and he was talking about getting a job again. They were so glad that he seemed to be doing better that they took him out to dinner and shopping to pick out a Christmas present, which was a neon orange ski parka. There's another little uh, tidbit there for you to see. Whoa.
4: Yes. Do we have pictures?
0: You can find pictures, yes. They didn't know that at this point Richard had actually already done a bit of his own Christmas shopping when he went to a sporting goods store, said that he had never spent time in a psychiatric facility and bought himself a gun. And they were just like, yep, here you go.
4: Okay. That's America.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Richard then told his parents that as much as he appreciated the Christmas gifts and them coming to visit him at his apartment, what he really wanted was to be able to come home for Christmas dinner with the family at his mom's house. But for his sister, Pamela, this was a hard no after he had killed every single family pet they ever had, and she was terrified of him and did not want him around at all. Completely understandable.
1: Can I just say that I really want the the Richard Chase Lifetime Christmas movie, I'll Be Home for Christmas, like... <laughs> It's I, <laughs> I. It's just like I gotta make it home.
2: Oh my
3: god! <laughs>
1: Antics oh. ensue. <laughs> oh
3: god! I would watch
0: it. I would read the Wikipedia plot. Now that would be a <laughs> great Christmas horror film. Oh gosh! All the animals would have to die off screen, and that would mean that there'd be like three fourths of the movie off screen. So. Yeah, yeah, screen time. Yeah. So understandably, Beatrice, his mom, also did not want him. At home, and she told Richard, "No, you cannot come home for Christmas." Even after he called the house repeatedly, begging to come over, and it's really this event—the being told he could not come home for family Christmas, denied family time. Yes, Um, after all of these years of no matter what he did, they really kind of gave back in and were like, "Okay, right." okay, just please don't do anything weird this time. This was the first time that they Mm -hmm. shut the door on him, literally, figuratively. And this, many researchers believe, is what really pushed him, was that event that pushed him over into his full uh, snap. So. Yay. Yay.
3: (laughs) But you can't blame the parents. Like, you have to have boundaries.
0: No, no. I mean, yeah. No. Yeah, you can
4: no, blame them for other things, but not for yeah, for yeah, that
0: not, not for saying you don't get Christmas. <laughs> I'm sorry, we fear our lives he around. Killed our dogs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: right.
3: On December 29th, Carol Griffin had just set down an armload of groceries in her home on Robertson Avenue, a neat, safe, and clean suburb of Sacramento. Her husband, 51-year-old Ambrose, was just behind her, grabbing the last two bags out of the trunk. All of a sudden, she heard her husband yell out like he was in pain. She rushed outside to find him lying on the ground and screamed for her two sons to call an ambulance. As she knelt on the ground beside her dying husband, concerned neighbors told her that Ambrose had probably had a sudden heart attack. But when paramedics got there, they realized immediately that Ambrose Griffin was dead from a single gunshot wound. Police were immediately stumped. Ambrose Ambrose was beloved by his family and his friends. He was a kind and easygoing person and worked as an engineer and was well-liked by his co-workers. He had absolutely no enemies and the police had no suspects. An interesting story found its way to police just a few days later, though. On the same day that Ambrose had been shot, just a few blocks away, a 12-year-old boy had been riding his bike and he stopped it on the sidewalk so that he could watch his favorite car drive by. A brown Pontiac Trans Am. <laughs> not a car person, but I, <laughs> I don't think that's a cool car.
4: <laughs> he listen. The guy just likes cars. The kid just I,
3: likes cars.
2: Yeah. You know, he just, yeah,
3: yeah. A brown He's Pontiac. It was his favorite. <laughs> Aww, I mean, it's cute. <laughs> I'm just a little judgy. <laughs> as it drove past him, the young white male driver pulled out a gun that the boy described as a snub nosed, and fired directly at him through the driver's side window. The bullet missed and shattered the glass at the store window behind him, and the car drove off. Ah, uh, fucking drive-by shooting on a kid uh, on a bike. Yeah. That is escalation.
4: I did just look up a brown uh, Trans Am from the late 70s, and it's not a bad-looking car.
3: Just a couple of days before the murder, a woman named Dorothy Polinsky had been in her house a few blocks away from the Griffins' home and was doing dishes at the sink when she heard a pop and her kitchen window shattered. At the same time, she felt something hot whiz through the thick bun of her hair on top of her head.
1: Close call,
3: (laughs) Like the beehive? Like, is that like, that's the only hairstyle I can imagine. It's just Uh, the giant beehive absorbed the impact of a bullet. Oh, God. No. Incredibly, police recovered and bagged up the bullet they found embedded in a cupboard And when it was compared to the bullet taken from Ambrose's chest just a few days later, they were confirmed to be fired from the same gun. But again, that was all they had.
0: On January 11th, Richard's neighbor, Dawn Larson, called police because he had really freaked her out. While she was standing outside by the apartment mailboxes, a disgusting-looking Richard Chase walked up to her and asked to borrow a cigarette. She gave him one, but instead of saying thank you and walking away, he grabbed her and restrained her until she handed him the entire pack, and then he abruptly left. A few days later, a woman named Jean was home alone in the morning when she saw a gaunt and disheveled man with dark and what she described as animal-like eyes walking up her driveway. To her horror, she watched the doorknob on her front door rattle for a few seconds, then stop. Then he appeared at her kitchen window and tried to open it, but it was locked tight. He stared unblinking at her for a few moments, muttered, excuse me, lit a cigarette and walked away down the street. What she didn't know, though, was that Richard Chase had decided that dog blood was no longer going to cut it. He had also latched on to the nickname that he'd been given at the psychiatric center where he'd first received his diagnosis, Dracula. And when he'd tried the doorknob and window on Gene's front door and found them to be locked, he understood that to mean that he wasn't welcome. Well, at least you got the hint. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
1: (laughs) You gotta invite him in, man. Yes.
0: And this is where so there's not a whole lot of speculation out there on this aspect of Richard Chase's mind. And I think that this is a good spot to talk a little bit about clinical vampirism and Reinfeld syndrome because Richard Chase's obsession with drinking blood and this seed that was planted in his mind of being a Dracula and then trying a door, it not opening, and him saying, well, that means I'm not welcome here. It all kind of goes together. And In researching things about clinical vampirism and Reinfeld syndrome, I originally thought that they were both kind of the same thing, which is believing that you are a vampire, that you need blood, that there's something like Richard Chase had deeply wrong with you, where you need to consume the blood of people or animals. But that's actually not entirely true. And clinical vampirism is a condition where... People it, believe that they are vampires, that they want to live and act like the classic vampire that we all kind of have embedded in our minds from uh, lore, mm-hmm. being creepy at night, drinking blood. But it is very much a sexual thing. It's more of a paraphilia, more of a Mm -hmm. fetish, whereas Reinfeld syndrome is not widely recognized in the DSM-5 as being, air quotes, a legitimate isolated mental health condition, but it is kind of encompassed as a branch off of paranoid schizophrenia, where Mm. you can literally believe that in order to live you must consume human blood and it is not inherently a fetish or a paraphilia or a sexually gratifying thing. You just genuinely believe that you need it. And I believe that Richard Chase falls and you guys can say what you think, please. But just from what we know of him, he falls more in that Reinfeld syndrome category to me yeah. than <laughs> the clinical vampirism for him it was not a even an all-consuming fetish or paraphilia it there was a sexual element because of the needing believing at first that he needed the blood to maintain an erection but the i do not believe that this he was getting some sort of arousal from the act of drinking blood i think he was just like oh this is keeping me alive i need it yeah Yeah, he very much
4: thought that that was like a requisite for him to to keep living yes Um, and and really like as far as i'm aware like the only thing that hits the lore aspect of things is like trying the doorknobs which was only yes you know like a couple of times so it's not it's not like he was yeah. only doing things at night like that's the other yeah, like, no it was, it was very no. much like right. out in the open in a neon orange parka like you know like he wasn't uh discreet wasn't necessarily like his favorite word um mm-hmm. yeah so yes. that's yeah. really the only thing that kind of taps there's, into the vampire yes. lore yes there's um there's so much
1: there when you were talking about him feeling like his heart is dead or that someone took um i don't remember what organ it was but someone took his something pulmonary artery, artery. yeah yes. um That sounds to me like Cotard's delusion, um, which is like the belief that you're dead or that parts of you are dead. Yes. Um, Yeah. And and you know it's mental. The the mind is like a spectrum. So like we like to categorize things, but I'm sure he had multiple things going on. But yeah, I mean Renfield was Dracula's like assistant. Yes. And um, and he liked like Dracula fed him like bugs. And I haven't actually read Dracula. It's it's one of my goals this year, but I've seen. i I know uh, a bit about it but i'm pretty sure that renfield was like like wanting to eventually be turned into a vampire and just not uh, like allowed to so yeah i I agree with you yes like when you when you watch some of the documentaries on like vamp vampirism or or like that kind of subculture because it's like there's people that partake in that almost like a like yeah like a a community or a culture yes Um, it, it does i it does sound like he was more on the the Renfield side. Yes. Yeah, and so, yes. Yeah. And
0: that people it's only been in the aftermath because he was drinking blood that we've been yes. like, Oh, blood drinking vampire. He was a vampire. Right. And it very well could have just been like, he heard them calling him that. And then he read a yeah. book mm-hmm. and yes. in his mind was like, Oh, well if I'm Dracula, then they do these things or Dracula yeah. does this. And so yeah, it's just it's like very... correlation,
4: not causation sort of it, thing. Exactly. Is, yeah,
0: exactly.
3: Later that same morning, a young couple in the same neighborhood came home from a shopping trip to find a horribly disgusting and wide eyed Richard Chase fleeing from their house. The husband actually chased him down and nearly caught him before Richard jumped a fence and got away. But their house had been totally ransacked and rifled through like the man had been looking for something. Most disturbingly they found human urine and feces in their child's dresser drawers and on the child's bed.
0: <sighs> God.
4: Yeah, I don't like that.
3: Still on the same morning before noon a former classmate of Richard's Chase named Nancy Holden ran into him at the grocery store and she was horrified by how bad looking he had gotten since the Rick Chase <laughs> since the Rick Chase she knew from high school. He asked her for a ride and he said, needed to get out of here right away. Mm. Sorry, I took my bike.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But something about his demeanor disturbed her so much, she rushed to her car and slammed the lock shut. Richard chased after her and tried repeatedly opening the car door until she drove away and ripped the handle out of his hand. Huh? Yeah, no. After this, he continued walking down the street alone until he got to the front door of a little house with a blue van parked in the driveway. And through the front windows, he could see that there was a young woman home alone. The front door was unlocked. And when David Wallen arrived home hours later, he found his 22-year-old wife, Teresa Wallen, who was three months pregnant, dead on the floor in a scene so horrific that if we saw it play out in a horror movie, we would say that it was too much. In addition to three gunshot wounds to her face and head, Teresa had been eviscerated with a knife, and all of her intor- all of her internal organs were piled on top of her, into the side of her body. Her shirt had been lifted o- lifted over her breasts, and one of her nipples was cut off. Her pants and underwear had been yanked down around her ankles, and there was an empty yogurt cup next to her body that was lined. In a residue of blood. When he'd first gotten home, the family's German shepherd was cowering anxiously in the corner. David cried to the dog, quote, Why didn't you do anything? Oh uh,
1: God. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah not that's the like... dog's fault. No.
3: <laughs> that...
2: oh, God. So awful. That
1: um is that really quick, is that to imply that he like was that his yogurt cup? Did he, he was, was it a bloody
0: yogurt He was blood cup? out of the yes. yogurt cup. So he okay. essentially, it's believed that he picked the yogurt cup up out of the trash and used it to drink her blood. Jesus. And God. two days after this murder, Richard Chase called his mom on the phone. He talked to her for a while about little green men, UFOs, and rockets. She thought he seemed downright happy. On January 27, 1978, 38-year-old Evelyn Miroth was at home babysitting her 22-month-old nephew, David, and her six-year-old son, Jason. During the day, Evelyn's neighbor, Dan Meredith, had come over to check on Evelyn and ended up staying to help her out with the kids. Richard Chase walked through the unlocked front door of Evelyn's apartment, and he met Dan Meredith in the front hallway. Richard shot him dead in the head at point blank range. He then shot and killed six-year-old Jason as he tried to run into his mother's bedroom, then forced his way into the bathroom where Evelyn had been taking a bath and shot her in the head. Once she was dead, he drug her body to the bed and completed sex with it while he drank blood from a slash on her neck. Now, At this point, it is important for us to mention that when he had shot and disemboweled Teresa Wallen, he realized that this act had resulted in him becoming violently sexually aroused and finally being able to maintain an erection to completion. So now we see that in addition to having a source of blood he believes that he has now found his cure and again i do want to point out that i think that this is something separate from the from vampirism mm-hmm. i don't believe that it was the i'm sorry to say it but the blood and the viscera i believe that it was the act of cruelty and the sadism of yeah ending those lives that was what and the total control that yeah. allowed him to become sexually aroused because of his affinity for cruelty to animals from the beginning and yeah all of those very dark messed up reasons
1: so do do you think um because obviously sexual sadism, but I, I guess I'm like curious that, yeah. that those elements don't seem to have played any part up until now. So do you think like like he was like a necrophile um, or like a like necrophiliac? Yes, yeah, I, I do
0: think okay. so. Yes, I'm glad that you said that. Um, that was something else that I had written down was that mm-hmm. it's I'm, I'm not incredibly familiar with a lot of the aspects of necrophilia, but I could also... Mm-hmm be convinced that it was less the actually having the the dead body that made him you know excited in that sure. way and that it was that total control jeffrey yeah. Dahmer was very similar in that way it was yeah the oh this i fully possess this person now sure and yeah but there's also i there's so many things going on, so many layers of illness and and things in his mind that it could have be any one of those things. So, yeah. And once again, here, we're not going to go into details, but we will let you know that David, the 22 month old baby, did not survive the attack and that later his body was found in a cardboard box that Richard Chase had left behind a nearby church. At this point the neighborhood and all of Sacramento Sacramento. All of Sacramento was in a panic and police were desperate for leads. Fortunately, Chase's former classmate Nancy, the one that had the creepy encounter with him at the grocery store, came forward and reported that incident and that pretty much blew the whole thing wide open. When police started looking into Chase, all of these pieces fell into place. He matched the physical descriptions of people in the neighborhood. He had a history of mental instability. The hospital where he was institutionalized described him as a violent patient with blood drinking tendencies. He had a criminal record That included drug possession and the assault on the woman at the party. He had a 22 caliber handgun registered to him, and all of the bullets used in the shootings had been from a 22. He lived alone and within proximity of all of the victims. So five days after the most recent homicide, police would knock on the door of Richard Chase. He emerged carrying a box full of blood-soaked rags. When he spotted the officers, he dropped the box and ran. Fortunately, that was brief, and they caught him and arrested him. In his possession was the wallet of murder victim Dan Meredith, so that pretty much sealed the deal. Police were horrified to find that almost everything inside the apartment was stained with blood. In the bedroom, they found a plate with brain matter on it. In the kitchen, they found a blood-stained hatchet and a blender that was covered in blood and had the distinct smell of decaying flesh. The refrigerator was filled with dead animal parts, mostly stored in plastic containers. When presented with this overwhelming evidence, Chase started to confess, but then recanted that confession. After two psychiatrist interviews they found all of the delusions about his blood he rambled incoherently said the mob was after him said someone in prison was trying to poison him and said that he was seeing ufos everywhere so they were pretty much like yeah uh check
2: check check yeah
0: richard chase's trial began on january 2nd 1979 and took four months to be completed He pled not guilty by reason of insanity and took the stand in his own defense. I don't know how the fuck that was allowed (laughs) to happen. But the jury immediately found him guilty of six counts of first degree murder. And after just a few hours of deliberation, he was sentenced to death by gas chamber to be served out at San Quentin State Prison.
2: Gas chamber? Yes. The good old
0: days. Yep. (laughs) The good old days. The good old days. but after just around a few weeks in prison and this this is honestly really sad to me i i am not a fan of richard chase by any means but his entire story is incredibly sad and tragic Um, at the encouragement of fellow inmates at san quentin he began stashing his daily prescription medication which is actually a discontinued very serious uh, antidepressant sedative hypnotic called sinequan and after storing up about three weeks worth of pills he took them all at the same time and ended his life one day after christmas on December twenty sixth, nineteen eighty. So I say, good riddance. Yeah,
1: I say overall, this whole thing does sound like a Christmas story to me. I
4: really gotta lock that in. <laughs> it is wild that this, like, really that ramp up started on Christmas, and yeah. like, it was only a month until, like, it only took a month for all of those, uh, like, all of the the people centered uh, murders to happen. Yes. And then yeah. two years yes. down the line, it all ended. Yeah, that's wild. Yes.
0: So insane. Thank you guys for bringing with us to that story. That is the horrible, horrible story of Richard Chase. And there's a whole lot more detail about weird things he did between his murders. That if you want the information, it is absolutely out there. You can find, but it's all just mm-hmm. just an escalation station that led up to that point and. Very brutal, have it.
1: <laughs> brutal. And, and yeah you're right you you've mentioned so many times that it, it is really sad it's one of those like conflicting um cases where you know i think multiple things can be true at the same time mm-hmm, like yeah. it's he absolutely needed to be held accountable and face consequences severe consequences for his crimes any hatred yeah. that any family members have towards him and and you know rejoicing in his punishment is beyond fair but at the end of the day it's it's a person who whose brain didn't work right in a, in a time in society that that just failed him yes yeah. so
0: his case is one of those that i think is a perfect example of how two things can be equally true at the same time exactly yeah, what you yeah. said that the the anger and the justice and the unforgivableness of what he did is is true and it is also true that he was catastrophically failed and uh lived a life of tragic illness that I mean if things had been different in any other decade could it have been stopped? We will never know. But I think probably and I hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would really hope. So now that we've brought everyone down with that nice uh, nice little story <laughs>
4: to, the, to the very bottom <laughs>
0: floor. Uh, we'd like to bring it back up again by having our horror expert steve and sean talk a little bit about their show and uh some vampire stuff in the horror genre and we have a couple of questions for you guys uh if that is okay
2: of Absolutely. Um, and
0: the first thing that we want you to do is just kind of like give the people a little bit about who you guys are, what you do. And I'm kind of curious what got you both into this, because I don't know if we touched on that in our first conversation. So, so, yeah.
4: Into like the genre okay. in general? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, like, or what got you both into being like, we are going to do this podcast and this is what we're going to do it on yeah, so, yeah. totally I can... uh
1: steve do you want to do the, sh- the show breakdown yeah i can and do kind of can... the spiel um Not... i mean All
4: essentially right. you know sean and i uh in 11 days it'll be three years that we've been doing this pod and i think a little before that um we sean and i lived together uh or ha- have you know been roommates for a bit um aren't currently but when we were both in michigan Uh, It was in uh, COVID times and like a lot of people, uh, there was like making bread and starting a podcast. And so we were (laughs) like, let's let's think about starting a podcast. And we, (laughs) um, we did a couple episodes of a show that was very similar to like My Favorite Murder, where we both would present a horror film and talk about and it and it didn't really work. Like I like that format I think of like two people presenting a thing and then talking about it. But didn't really work how we wanted it to. Um, But that was our trial run and we just did it for ourselves. And so we stopped for a minute. And then it wasn't until I moved away to New York. Sean was still in Michigan that we were like, let's try this again. And uh I'm a fan of um as many people are hot ones. Um I love Sean Evans. I love uh the interview style and and asking great questions. Um, and on top of that, there's another, um, basketball centric interview show that I'm a big fan of. Um, and I was like, I think what we should do is just bring on people from the genre or fans of the genre Mm -hmm. and talk about, um, either them as creatives, why they like the genre, what they're working on right now, et cetera. Um, and I think, you know, our name, our podcast name is mostly horror. It used to be called Mm -hmm. mostly horror movie night, but we shortened it um and our ethos is kind of that anything can really be a horror film. A lot of people, especially people that gatekeep the genre, which Sean and I are, are whatever the opposite of a gatekeeper, we're a gategiver, uh not a gatekeeper. <laughs> we we believe that if you feel like a movie is a horror film, we're not going to say no. Like there, you know, Jurassic Park or Jaws, I think are great examples of films that the the layman may not consider a horror film but fans of the genre will probably tell you that both of those films have horrific elements in them um and
0: the original (laughs) (laughs)
4: the boat scene is one of the best horror films ever made yeah i I completely agree like it's there so obviously case in point right here um and so that's that's kind of our ethos so not only do we talk about those sort of things um It also allows us to bring in um people from things that may be like kind of horror but kind of not and we'll just Mm -hmm. call it mostly horror at that point um we just did a great a great interview with someone who um made a film called out of darkness uh which is it's being marketed as a horror film but it's like a a survival paleolithic movie um oh interesting and and it's a it's really good. But B, it's another great it's really example good. of like this isn't like, you know, spooky ghost in the house sort of horror film or monster. Uh, but we we like to kind of touch all the different areas and, and subgenres of horror. So um yeah. There you go, Sean. Take it take it to whatever. Yeah, <laughs>
1: to just to to even like compress, but basically, yeah, we're uh I've been a, a diehard horror fan you know, at least since I was ten years old, but I've always been into the the spooky stuff. I think ten is when I really got the bug. And Steve has always liked, you know, darker and spooky things too. And it, it took him a while to really come into the genre. Um, and so part of our show is like exploring that and Steve like like extra exploring the genre, us exploring the current, you know, things that are coming out together. And overall talking with our guest about um about fear and trauma and how we express that creatively and just the dark sides of the world so we're not yeah it's it's not just like strictly sticking to um movies what everyone would consider a horror movie and then also frankly when we decided it was an interview show which i was very hesitant about i was like how are we gonna get a guest every week and steve's like dude i got it um and we've managed to mostly pull it off Yeah. yeah um but uh but also i was like well we're gonna call it You know, we we were in searching for whatever I liked that mostly horror allowed us to if one week, if we can get like Hilary Duff on and talk about Liz McGuire, then we're going to do that. You know, like, like just it's an excuse to talk to people we admire about what we think is cool, frankly. Um,
0: Yeah, I think that's mostly horror. Mostly (laughs) horror. I love how you guys do such a great job. I listened to a couple of your recent episodes. Uh, I just finished listening to the episode. Where you interviewed the director of the seating and oh, yeah that was Barnaby a Clay. Re- Clay yes um yeah. and i just love how well you guys dig into the mm-hmm. minds of creatives in and as a creative that has a certain type of creativity in one aspect but needs other creatives to do their thing because I have no concept of it. I love getting to understand and hear other people explain what got them from point A to point B, like how Barnaby Clay was talking about his experiences with horror films as a child and his childhood trauma of being taken to the movie theater when he was a kid and, yes. and seeing something that blew his mind. And then here he is years later with this, you know, critically uh claimed film and it's just yeah it's really cool i love you guys's style of interviews mm-hmm. and the way that you talk about films and uh yeah we're, i'm we're very nitpicky <laughs> with what i listen to i'm i don't know what
3: it is like voices get to me mm-hmm. styles the way people like the flow of things. i get that mm-hmm. and i truly totally. do enjoy your podcast yes. like
4: thank you guys Thank yes. you so much.
3: Yeah. yeah. Yes. I it's, think it's yeah.
4: It's one thing, It you know, like Sean said kind of near the end of his spiel, like we at the end of the day, like we want to just talk to people that we think are really cool. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, part of our show is like hitting people that are on press circuits for new movies that are coming out. But then the other part of it is like our Christmas episode was talking to the guy who played Krampus and Krampus. Yeah, and that, that was that's so just much a much fun. Cool conversation. But it's very authentic? That we wanted to do. Yes. Yeah,
2: and, and that's yeah, just
3: like, like we, easygoing. It's like really intriguing to listen to.
4: Yes. Yeah, and we, you know, that's that's what we try to maintain. It's also really one of the best parts is hearing from you know. Directors that have made big waves in their career, like a lot of people talking about like, just go make the thing just go do it or like we talked to Jonah Ray Rodriguez, who's a great comedian and actor and him talking about kind of almost like the imposter syndrome that he sometimes suffers from even at this stage of his career, like all of those things as somewhat creatives that Sean and I are, are wonderful to hear because it's like inspiring, right? Um, And at the end of the day, like, it sucks to say but like we don't even care how many people listen to us because we enjoy doing yeah. the interviews so much yeah. so it's it's
1: uh that still is really that. cool we yeah it's a very wonderful. self-indulgent show yeah we uh we do not all, like we we keep ourselves mainly professional but if like if we got a geek we're gonna geek a little bit <laughs> and um and yeah and and like steve said i just want to add that um it's really cool to talk to these people and find out like dude they have gone through all of the imposter syndrome stuff and like like chandler baker was bullying us like like you guys got a a, author chandler baker who wrote um the husbands and uh, is working on the big bad film with um with christopher landon right now uh she was she's like i'm gonna bully you guys like you got you got to get writing and stuff like that it's just cool to have, yes. have those interactions also want to say truly do like everybody here already loves you all your listeners but really love your guys show too and, and your cadence and stuff yeah and it was cool to be a part of it thank you so much we're
0: very much of a, a baby podcast yes. um but it's a huge accomplishment for us to now be on episode 36 um yeah. the yeah. season of life that we're in and you know, yeah. we have big goals and we're making ourselves do the thing, even when it's hard. So it's really, uh, it's, yeah, it's hard. It's what it's it is. Hard to do it every
4: like it's, it's hard to keep consistency. Yeah. And it, it is a big testament when you can look at what number you're at as a podcast, and Be like, damn, I've, I've done X yeah. amount of pods. Like it's, it's tough. Yes.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, hearing that from you guys, um, can we now ask you, well, Take a couple more minutes here uh, and we'll wrap up um, in the next 10 minutes or so. But we would like to ask you a couple of questions about the vampire genre. Let's uh, go. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. All right. So I'm going to read a question uh, that I wrote down and you guys can fight over who's going to answer first. So For for this question... I have said vampire lore has been around for a very long time and vampire stories, especially as we know them, you know, in the West, they often center around the vampire entity as a physical monster with supernatural influence, like was a normal person who became a monster or there's sometimes a flip side where they're just this demonic entity that is completely, you know, from a supernatural realm. And like we just spent a long time talking about in Richard Chase's case, his vampirism was exclusively the result of severe mental illness, which led him to genuinely believe he had to consume human blood to stay alive. And obviously um well maybe some people would disagree with us we don't believe in his case there were any supernatural influences at play um yeah. and in the horror genre or with anything really do you guys think that there are any films shows content that deal with vampires in a way that doesn't make them this like supernatural monster entity, but actually connects vampirism to mental illness, um, either overtly or as an allegory, but that there's like a clear or implied connection that, that what is actually at play is mental illness, not a demon or well, something like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, Steve, do you want me to take it? You can. I, I have something okay. after you're done. Sure. Okay. Um. Well, so first off, yeah. I mean, I was telling Steve the other day because knowing that I was coming on the show inspired me to, like, cram in a bunch of vampire movies. And I think in my – like, in the back of my head, I knew this, but it reminded me that the vampire genre of, of films is one of the most diverse subgenres of horror. Like, I think uh, the only thing that even comes close would be zombie movies. Um just vampires are used in so many different ways with so many different tones, so many different rules. Um, and it's pretty representative of like vampire lore in general. Like you said, it goes back as far as we can remember, like ancient Greece, Romania. I think it is all it, what we know vampires today is like, uh, a collective of all these different ideas suck and different creatures. Yes. And, um, and then yeah, Bram Stoker really like set the stage for Stoker. what we know as the m- Stoker. Yeah, I like so I Stoker. Stro-
4: I mean, I, I do I like Stoker that. all the time. I don't know Sean probably. wrote uh, should we have a we have a doc I, with notes, and he wrote yeah. Stoker a number of times.
2: <laughs> yeah, I wasn't I gonna it, mention I it. it, but it no, made no, me I, the laugh. thing is,
4: I
1: do that all the time, and I have no clue why. But yeah, Bram Stoker. Um, I think sh- my my tongue just wants to throw an R in there for some reason. I'll that. but um, but yeah, Freud he, uh, would say something. He really, Sorry. He really set um, just set the stage for what we know vampires to be, uh, and yeah, and and through through that genre, that that very dense subgenre, um, vampires are used as allegories for all sorts of things, um, and uh, you know everything from like themes of of vanity, immortality, obviously fear of death, toxic love, relationships, and manipulation are a big one, mm-hmm. um, and and questions about one what one is willing to do to survive. Uh so and and also like class privilege is another one that's yeah. talked about. Oh. That. Uh, when it yeah, when it comes to mental health specifically, um funny enough I just watched a cult film uh for the first time uh that I think perfectly fits this category and it's a it's a Nick Cage movie from 1988 okay. called called Vampire's Kiss and it is hands down my favorite nick cage performance ever now like it has jumped to the top but it is a story of like a a 1980s new york corporate bro who's completely full of himself the the movie to me feels like a parody of american psycho but it came out before american psycho was written yes Um, yes and uh and yeah it's about a guy who becomes convinced he's a vampire it's it really toes the line between what is real and what's not um, but yeah would highly recommend everybody everybody check that out
2: um,
0: i know i've so. seen little internet meme yes. real clips Oh, Absolutely. that okay yeah, yeah. yeah. there's yeah. a famous meme yes. Yes. His yeah face. yeah
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's so good oh, okay. it's so it's crazy it's a ride so, that is, and i laughed so much
0: that is an awesome suggestion i've never Thank heard you. of that okay vampire's kiss with nick cage we're gonna he, not... he played i mean he his looks fit the role interesting yeah.
1: yeah it's it is a trip you think you've seen nick cage nick cajun before this is like like peak nick cage <laughs> that's, that's all i could say nick he cage, turned it up to full blast
4: nick cajun
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Ah. So this kind of piggybacks off of that question, you know, when you're saying that the vampire genre is vast and varied and is not limited to rules like some are. Why do you think that vampires more than anything else just as a genre are sexy? it's
4: it's actually really it's really interesting we we had this conversation one of our earliest episodes that um we took down because it wasn't i think up to the quality that we wanted um earlier on in our in our career or in our in our pod career um but we had a conversation with another podcast who um talked about sex scenes in, in movies that was like their whole thing i don't know if they still i don't think they still pod anymore um but we were talking about sex scenes and horror and they specifically brought up um, a movie that I actually have behind me called the vampire lovers, as well as a film called Dracula's daughter. Um, But these are very early. Like this is, I believe a hammer horror um, film and it's from like 19
2: 1970,
4: 1970. Um, But this is like a lesbian vampire movie. It's not even like uh, overtly sexual, like, you know, you know um heterosexual vampire movie um i think it's something about the the otherworldliness of like it's the the non-straightforward human aspect of vampires where you have like these other monsters like werewolves which um will normally kind of like signify like a, a huge change in a person's personality but like you have Uh, werewolves which look nothing like humans when they're in wolf form you have mummies which look nothing like humans when they're in wolf wolf, um, mummy (laughs) form (laughs) wrapped up but vampires look just like people and so you can have this otherworldly creature that acts and behaves in a way that a normal person can't and I think like you're able to pin um, aspects of human um uh inhibition i feel like that that normally wouldn't be recognized as like something that's palatable like over sexuality and just be like that's a vampire thing and so that's you can attach it to um all these this sort of creature i think i kind of want to go back to um the thing you were asking before about uh something being tapped closely to mental illness in the vampire yeah yes i actually i i was really curious when you were um, asking that. Cause I was like, I've never really heard of anything that looks at mental illness in that way. And I didn't nearly put as many vampire movies in, uh, in my brain outside of what I had already seen as Sean did, but I did watch one movie um, because I was really interested by the cover. And this is a film from 1977 called Martin. And so the reason I was sucked in is because it had an interesting cover and it was the fifth or sixth film by George A. Romero, who created Night of the Living Dead and the Crazies and Dawn of the Dead. He actually okay. made this film right before making Dawn of the Dead. Um, and I believe that you I would be curious to see if our good friend Richard Chase saw this movie the year before committing his crimes, because this movie came out in 1977 and it's about a young man who feels like he needs to drink blood and uh, sometimes feels like he can't have sex without also drinking someone's blood. Um, Basically this young man moves from Indianapolis to Pittsburgh or or somewhere in Pennsylvania as uh, all George A. Romero movies tend to be. Um, he lives with his older cousin who calls him Nosferatu and thinks that he is, uh, thinks that Martin, this main character is actually 84 years old and is, is a vampire, but looks young. Um, and throughout this whole movie, Martin basically struggles with the fact that he has a compulsion to, to drink blood. The whole movie starts with him killing a woman on a train and and drinking blood while he lays on top of her naked. Um, he calls into a radio station and talks to the DJ about his problems that he has and it, and the DJ calls him the count um and basically you know things unfurl as uh they tend to do in a horror film but it's just so it's so similar to the case of Richard Chase like Martin Well even
0: looks like Yeah
4: he's <laughs> he's a gaunt so I in reading this it turns out George Romero was originally going to have an old guy play this part but then saw um, the lead actor, John Amplis in a live show, I believe. And was like, oh, I need to have him be the main character. But anyways, it blew my mind. Cause it seems so similar to the Richard Chase story and I could have sworn it was based off of it, but it actually preceded it.
2: That um, is wow.
0: Wow.
4: Yeah. And That's... so it's, it's really an interesting thing. Like the whole time. It's, it's the... You solved it, Steve. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I I'm really curious if they like ever found a, a ticket stub for, for Martin. Oh, um, I wonder. Yeah, also a fun fact about this movie is that um, this and Dawn of the Dead were re-released in Italy, and basically uh, Dario Argento, who's like a the the most famous Italian horror director ever, George A. Romero would just give him his movie and be like, re-edit this and re-release it in Italy. And so Dario Argento re-edited this movie and re-released it in Italy under the uh, name Vampire, which is so good.
2: <laughs> I love the name Vampire. Yeah. Um,
4: but anyways, that's I just like I found that connection yesterday in the middle of the day and, and could not believe that that I didn't incredible. know about it until now. Yeah, it's it's absolutely insane. And and obviously like his, you know, the his killings didn't happen until 78, so it was like right after this. Yeah. Um, because yeah.
3: compared to other vampire films, this one, this really is
0: Yeah. This is too it's too close it is Richard Chase. yeah yeah
4: it's far too close but it's also really like the film is really interesting it's very 70s i i wasn't like a huge fan of it in general it has these cool uh-huh. um monochromatic like fantasy moments where he's like imagining things happening um but i i was just kind of sucked in by the fact that it was so so interesting i will say another vampire movie that not, or it's not a movie it's a tv show that broke the mold in my mind um using vampirism uh outside of the normal like vampire dracula structure is midnight mass which is oh my uh, oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, wow. oh my god you I know one of the best show. uh tv shows in recent memory mike flanagan's yes. uh, a master but it used vampirism as like a religious allegory and yes. know, Jesus is basically a vampire like that's the dopest shit i've ever heard
0: yes um, yeah I so, spent another good so, example of that. Yes, I I uh spent so much of that show just like
1: <laughs> agreed. It's fantastic. Loved agreed. it
0: so much. And yeah. yeah I, I can't believe I didn't even think of Midnight Mass as I didn't I, think it. Yeah, that. That's uh <laughs> great. I'm absolutely going to watch Martin and whenever I Whenever I, yes, whenever I write yeah. these cases after spending like a lot of time with them i then want to like walk away from it and not think about these motherfuckers ever again but now sure. i think i'm just going to be going deeper and trying to right? find out <laughs> if there's anything connecting i'll watch yeah. twilight, Are you so you watch twilight?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I will say Richard Chase's stuff is far more severe than Martin. Martin is pretty tame, um, but he's very much like boy next door, sexual sadist vampire vibes. Um, It's really, it's really weird. Yeah. He also, there's a lot, it's, I don't, I won't spoil anything. There's just a lot of good moments where like, The uncle or not uncle, the older cousin will be like, You're a vampire, or he'll say, No Swaratu, no Swaratu. Like he'll like have garlic and stuff around Martin, and Martin will just grab it and go, It's not magic. And just (laughs) (laughs) that's like his whole thing. He'll like he'll grab a cross and be like, see, it's not magic. I just like blood. It's really it's really interesting. So anyways.
0: Ah. Well, thank you so much for that. That was great that then kind of leads us into uh next question. Now that Caitlin said she would watch <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch twilight. Um, if you guys were going to recommend three, you can do it separately or together. If you were going to recommend three really great vampire films, give them to us. All right. Okay.
4: Do you want to um, go like one in one, Sean? One of ours are going to sure. be the same. We can see each other's lists, so yeah. Let's end on that yeah. one. <laughs> end on that one. Yeah. End on the the one that's common between our two lists. Got you. Okay. All right. You got it. All right. Um.
1: Well. All right. So. All right. <laughs> Sorry. I Had to get my brain looking at the thing. <gasps> um. Yeah. So for me, one of the ones that I recommend to to everybody uh that i think a surprising amount of people have not seen is a movie from i think it's from like 2009 i should have pulled this up um
4: 2010
1: 2010 i was close uh is a is a movie called let me in oh and okay it's yeah it it starts uh cody smith mcphee and chloe grace moretz And, um, it's just, yes, it's a, I, I don't even, when I show it to people, I don't even like to tell them it's a vampire movie. Uh I think you pick up on it pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I think it kind of talks about, I mean, it talks a lot about bullying, like bullying is a big part of that, but it's a, um, it's like a kid's story and, and like the horrors that kids really face. And I think that, um, you know, you have a vampire character, and there's obviously vampire violence, but the bullying is actually the scariest part yeah. of this movie. Um, so, yeah, we, it's it's just fantastic. It's a remake.
4: Yeah, of I was going to say we should specify that.
1: Yes, I'm going to. It's it's a remake of a movie that's based off of a book um, called "Let the Right One In." Um, so a lot of people are, you know, really against remakes and, and no matter what, always think the original is the best. In this case, I personally like the remake more than I like the original. Okay. That's not to say that the original is bad. Um, there is a very awkward thing that happens in the original um, that, that I always you kind can of, show more nudity in sweden than you can in the united states uh, yeah and also it you know <laughs> you can suggest that it's child nudity and and just like it's it's kind of weird i think it works like i don't i don't necessarily have like like think that it's it damns the movie right. necessarily but it is it is uncomfortable and um and overall i just i connect more with uh let me in. Okay. i also saw let me in first but yeah highly recommend let me in
3: all right
4: yep yeah i Steve. uh I'm going to go back to when we were just talking about and that we all probably agree, but midnight mass, um, I actually, so mine, two of mine are movie or two of mine are TV shows, but um, I think midnight mass is just uh, it's, it's my favorite Mike Flanagan series possibly tied with fall of the house of usher now. But um, I think it's a genius way of incorporating uh, the vampire um, trope, and and lore as a religious allegory i think that it's some of the best tv acting in oh my god i don't even know how long like
0: yes um, the monologues in it oh yeah yeah Yeah. and
4: i and i i can understand why um i can understand why people would be turned off by that like it, it it is slow moving at parts but i do think that it just like absolutely nails mood and and tone and look and all of that also hamish linklater who is the the priest in this um father paul like the fact that he didn't win any awards for his portrayal in this like he is by and large the best actor in this in in a group of amazing actors um just absolutely unreal uh so yeah, Midnight Mass is, is top tier for me yeah. and may lead to me rewatching it as soon as we're done talking. <laughs> when that
0: show, when it ended, like when the screen went black, I felt like I'd been hit by a bus. And that's how I yeah. want to feel when Agreed. something ends. And Agreed. I was just like
4: yeah we call that the
1: flanagan treatment yeah that's um, the flanagan no, treatment yeah no, yes. matter, no matter what show of his you watch you will always feel like garbage after yes. in the yeah best way. emotionally yes.
4: yeah just Drained. our our editor chelsea i think watched the show three times through within like a week of it coming out and nice. then like, she tends to do that but like she was just obsessed yeah. and and we feel very much the same way so um also
1: quickly want to say that uh you know a religious allegory or like religious common commentary is common in vampire mm, stories yes. especially if you go back um, but this is one of the first ones that I think are like critiquing religion in a very like articulate way that I very much so enjoy oh yeah. absolutely um, so
4: and so, yeah. probably the and first I'm one asking. to go Jesus is a vampire right like that's-
0: <laughs> yeah isn't <laughs> yeah. that crazy yeah and for you right. to be like yeah yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
4: <laughs> yeah it yeah. all makes sense. They made it make 100%. sense. 100%. <laughs> yep. Um
1: so the other one that I'm going to throw in before we get to our our absolute joint one yes. is uh dude, if you haven't seen Lost Boys, what are you doing? Lost Boys is Oh, you have a look on your face like I haven't seen Lost Boys. I have
0: Boys. not, but I have heard of it and I know I've seen parts okay, of yes, I know what you're talking.
1: About. Got you. Um I think that if we're looking at like all the different, the the different takes on on vampirisms and and uh, fads in vampire movies, mm-hmm. Lost Boys. Um, I think Anne Rice really got it started. Uh, like like our what we now see as like our modern sexualization, uh, sexual look at vampires. I think Anne Rice got that going with Interview with a Vampire yes. and, and things like Queen of the Damned. Yes. But um, and then they made Brad Lost... Pitt
0: a vampire and the. A... Mm movie version of interview with the vampire yes, it, right so it just watched exactly. to that um,
1: yeah but lost boys i think is what took vampire it, to, to the best of my knowledge i'm not i'm not a historian but took vampires and really put it in like like the alt edgy like um subculture okay and and yeah in in the 80s and i think because of like we without lost boys we wouldn't have everything from underworld to vampire diaries and things like yeah. that yeah uh just looking
0: at the stills like the film stills it looks just very punk rock like it's so very dark breakfast club it's it's cool (laughs) it's
1: it's so good it's so cheesy it's so fun the soundtrack is killer um yeah yeah if you haven't seen lost boys it looks like they're
3: doing a new one a
4: musical oh gosh it's being why does everything uh, have to be i'm very excited it's being oh gosh it's being produced by uh patrick wilson of uh insidious and conjuring fame okay. um, okay okay which is really interesting it also uh oh god i wish i could i wish i could pull up i have the press release um but i don't know where it is but it's uh being written by like i don't i don't even remember like it's the music's being written by like actual like tony award-winning people so oh
0: that's it
4: should be turned into like a good musical it's uh the people who are writing um the book like the the dialogue and stuff Uh one of the writers of it's always sunny in philadelphia so I'm, i'm cautiously optimistic for a lost boys musical i will say i'm dude i'm all in Let's go. <laughs>
0: that says I'm a little more optimistic now. Yes. Yeah. I want to see the original one yes. Yeah. 1st Well, for sure yes, put that you on should. A, uh, watch list movie night. That looks like yeah. a really, really fun movie.
1: Don't, don't read the Wikipedia. Okay. Like. I will not. okay. <laughs> Jen's like, too late. Um,
0: I'm itching. Yeah.
1: And then... <laughs> And then our third one. Wait, I should probably is, go uh, first, Sean, before you yeah, take mine. My... Yeah, I guess that makes yeah. sense. Yes. <laughs> well, I thought they were, I thought we were doing the same. It's the same.
4: No, I didn't do my second. You're going to just. Oh, I'm my only going to get Stupid. one. God, Sean. I'm so sorry. Uh, my crazy. second one, um, I have, uh, I'm wearing a shirt that Sean got me. I have the movie version above me. I also have Laszlo right there. Uh, what We Do in the Shadows is
2: Yo, a I perfect him.
4: television show. Um, not only is it insanely funny, but it's a wonderful modern take on vampires. And what I think realistically having vampirism would like result in uh-huh. um, it, you have like the people who play Nadia and Nandor, at least to my knowledge, weren't like huge actors, at least in America. And they came in and blew the doors off of this show. Yes. Matt Berry, who plays Laszlo who I know from Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, is an absolute gem and delivers lines like nobody's business. Um, Harvey Guillen, who plays Guillermo, is amazing. Matt Porksh, who is Colin Robinson, who is an energy vampire, which is a very fun take on vampirism, um, is probably has the best laughs in the entire show. And you get a healthy sprinkling of Doug Jones in the show, which everything should have Doug Jones in it. So that's... I I think it's wonderful. The movie is great as well. If you haven't seen the movie, what we do in the show, I have seen,
0: I have seen the movie and the show. Love, love, love all of them. And my first exposure to Matt Barry was in uh, the IT crowd uh, Mm. and him playing a incredibly problematic uh, boss, but his voice, his, I just,
4: he's amazing. He has
0: the capacity to make me weep with laughter the way that yes. he says and does everything he does. So yeah, he's oh, wonderful.
4: See. I'm very sad that the show is ending. I'm glad it's ending on its own terms. Yes. Um, but very sad that the next season's gonna be the last. So yeah.
0: That was a great recommendation. Yes.
4: And yeah, for for
1: the third one, um, if you we talked a bit about sexuality and and how every vampire movie seems to be about sex not 30 days a night dude yeah it is it is cutthroat brutal like almost if if vampires met the zombies from uh 28 days later Mm -hmm. uh and it is yep for for anyone that doesn't know what it is uh, basically in alaska there are you know there are places where the sun yes there the because of the way that the earth rotates you will have it just the sun will not come Mm -hmm. up for 30 days and then uh you know you'll have another period where the sun just doesn't go down and a clan of vampires realizes this and decides to pay a visit for a month-long raid on a on a small town and it is just it is not for you know those with with weak stomachs. Um, it is brutal and just uh, an absolute blast, and one so of my favorite. <laughs> and based off of a um, a graphic novel series written by Steve Niles and illustrated by one of my favorite illustrators, Ben Temple. Okay. So. Awesome. That was. Yep. It's good stuff. It's a great I one.
0: See. That's a great definitely one. <laughs> uh, a movie poster. That's one of the ones like that when rings. I saw it, I immediately recognized. It. and yeah. I have not seen the film. It's been one that my brothers tried to get me to watch multiple times. Yeah, uh, that was one my
3: I, older sister watched. And oh, like, okay. I'll watch it with you, just little old me. <laughs> no, gosh.
2: How'd you do? Uh,
3: I did not like it. It scared me, it did scare me.
1: Yeah, it'll do it. And I don't it's, think uh, I've seen it
3: since. Like, it's just one of those like certain scenes are like in my
0: brain. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, yep. It's a it's a scary movie. It, I would throw it up there, and and I I people often ask like what's what's the scariest movie? And I'm like, that's a complicated question. Yeah, blah. blah, blah, blah. Break down that horror is not always about scaring people. Thirty Days a Night is scary. Yes, because uh, yeah. there's the yeah.
0: there's the fun scared, and then there's the I am gripped with terror, and I don't <laughs> yeah. like this feeling. And yeah, I've only seen a couple movies like that because I. <laughs> I, I don't tend to do well with those types of movies, but, uh, yeah, ah. really one of those movies for me was Nightcrawler that genuinely ah. scared me and I, I loved, loved Nightcrawler. it, but I Fair. genuinely scared me. So, Fair. cause I was, a, yeah, I think you have seen Nightcrawler before. So oh, long. I have. Yeah, yes. Jake Jillies jake oh, yeah. jillies jake jillies uh, he looks scary he looks a little he, lo- he looks like richard chase <laughs> but but you can fix him yes yes <laughs> yes i'm ready uh i i know you're all over it but i'm so excited about jake jillian the roadhouse remake coming mm-hmm. up yeah, i that's probably good.
4: i probably wouldn't watch it unless it was jake john hall and so i'll probably oh, watch it i mean and 100- also, 100%. i 100 yeah. yeah. percent it's a. Uh, it's it's something where I really wasn't interested. In, and then I saw the trailer and it's just Jake Gyllenhaal beating ass. And I'm like, God, I love Jake Gyllenhaal. So yeah. 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 that's where I stand. <laughs> <laughs> get you some popcorn,
0: exactly. get you a slushie. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In some loud chairs <laughs> some and watch it. Yes. And yep. on that note, and I mean, I feel like always. That's a great <laughs> t- ending <up. laughs> On Jake Gyllenhaal, we should just really yeah. end every episode somehow bringing somehow. Jake Gyllenhaal okay. up. Both times
1: that we've hung out, we've talked about Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes. I brought him up when we were on last time, yeah. or when you were
0: on last awesome. time. Awesome. Yep. I remember, <laughs> Steve and Sean, where can you guys uh, be followed and found on the internet?
4: So we are wherever you can listen to podcasts. Uh, you can listen to our episodes early and ad free on Wondery Plus or on Apple Podcasts, or just listen to them like regular anywhere else. That's totally fine as well. Um, we are on Instagram at Mostly Horror Pod, on Twitter and TikTok at Mostly Horror. I am on all the soci- socias, Christ. <laughs> <I'm>
0: on- <laughs> all the socias, bitches. Say, I'm on all
4: the socias at Stephen is average and Sean is everywhere at hypocrite Inc or hypocrite dot Inc. That's where you can catch us.
0: Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Oh. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for thank having you for lighting the mood. Yes. Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah. We tried. Needed it with this episode. Now you know?
0: ho- I feel as though I genuinely have learned some things that i didn't know about vampire stuff so and interestingly enough uh richard chase has very little to do with actual vampire anything it's just the name and a horrible a horrible story but uh definitely has some of those horror movie elements in it but absolutely i wouldn't want him
4: knocking on my window no i will say i would watch a good richard chase movie i know that they did there was a book that was written based off of him and then that was adapted into a movie by william friedkin who did the exorcist but it's not like a it's not like a one-to-one so i yeah it's kind of a a one-to-one yeah i want to see the christmas
2: i
3: i would watch
0: the christmas movie yes
2: (laughs) one day one gosh
0: oh my what did you say Uh, i'll be home for christmas yeah Yeah. (laughs) he only wears an orange parka the entire time (laughs) yes dude i see it in my head so much Mm. (gasps) start writing it start writing it honestly yes you're right let's get on
1: it sean you're right
0: (laughs) all right guys well with that uh you can send us case suggestions to camping is canceled at gmail.com please leave us those reviews on apple and spotify and only if they're nice. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for Uh-oh. listening yes. and we haven't decided what case we're doing next, nope, but you will be getting something. So, Sounds we'll in. catch you back next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.